to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Ah, yes. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. My name's Paul Joy, and as the host of this podcast, it is my privilege to sit down each episode with another Yog, a Yarra old grammarian, as we explore with them their experiences and adventures of school life, the twists and the turns, the ups, the downs, the highs and the lows of their experience at Yarra Valley Grammar, and then when and where those decisions and choices and options and explorations where they have taken them in the world and where they find themselves even now. And today I'm going to sit down with Lachlan Cameron from the class of 2013. I think I'm going to talk to him about where where life has taken him in terms of travel, but also the pursuit of passion. And interest. We're going to begin by talking a little bit about when he started his journey at Yarra and what his reflections of the CAF are. Enjoy this conversation with Lachlan Cameron from the class of 2013. Uh, well, firstly, thanks for having me, Paul. Um, I started, I think, in 2008, so in year seven. Um, I started and then went through all the way through to the end of high school in 2013. My memories of the CAF, I think particularly as a year seven, it was just a, a huge space that um, was a sort of uh, a meeting point for all year levels. But it was a bit of a, a sort of a strange experience coming from a local primary school close by to a school of about 1,200 people at the time um, with people from, you know, 13, 12, 13 years old up to the age of 18. So it was a very new environment for me. But, um, yeah, it was a really... I think a good space to be able to come and meet with my with my peers and um, make new friends. And all of a sudden, it's like a whole shop there. It's not just a minimal menu on a Friday that you used to have at your primary school. All of a sudden, you, you can get everything at the CAF. Mm. Yeah, it was a bit um a bit more expensive than my um the the Sunny Boys and the um the, yeah the twenty cent icy poles and the fried rice that you could get on Fridays. So um it was a it was a definite change, but um. No, a good staple um, of my year seven life, I think. You uh, you are definitely dating yourself when you say sunny boys and 20 cent icy <laughs> poles, but I, I totally understand. <laughs> I, I wonder in those early days of, you know, you, you're into middle school, you've come from the local primary school and all of a sudden there are lots more people to engage with and get to know. Do you recall any programs that they ran or, or it might even be games or activities in your tute group that helped you? find a spot to connect um i think not necessarily programs per se but i was always drawn to yarra when i was younger because i was quite quite into sport and quite active so that played a big part of it for me and i played um football and basketball in my first few years at yarra uh, and then moved on to playing volleyball later and um that was a real source of enjoyment for me i really enjoyed meeting the people in my year levels and playing against different schools and I was able to meet people from the sort of across the AGSV which was really enjoyable. Um, that coupled with the fact that I came from a, a like I said a local primary school close by so a lot of my friends from that space ended up going to Yarra in any event so um, you know I had I had friends that followed through which was really nice and then we were able to expand on that um, you know meet different people from with, with different interests um, so it was just a good sort of social environment to be in. It was a very sort of accepting school and it had people from all different parts of um, the eastern suburbs, which was really enjoyable. Yeah, that's great. And, and a, a terrific reflection really on, on the journey of, you know, friends and, and being able to change a little bit in your circumstance and your situation and in this case your school but but some of those same friendships stick stick all the way through and what would be your contact with Yara nowadays in terms of your, your friends are you still in touch with anybody um I am still in contact with a few people I think um for me after I finished school I sort of moved around a fair bit so I haven't actually been back in Melbourne for sort of long periods of time for a while but in saying that there are still a number of people that I would was friends with at Yarra or who went to Yarra and I became friends with afterwards. 
um, that I still talk to pretty regularly. And, and I was just mentioning to you before we started this podcast, Paul, but I was back in Melbourne for um, a week just gone. And um, I made contact with a number of friends while I was down there from Yarra. So the connection there is still pretty strong. Um, I still see, I still catch up with one of my um, history teachers as well. So the connection to the staff as well is, is still pretty strong. That's pretty special to to have all those years gone by and, and still have the connections. And uh, we'll talk soon about what happened after you left Yarra and why you've moved around so much. I'm really excited to, to explore that. But tell me a little bit more before we do about your friendship group. And, and that might have been sport was something that tied you together. But where did you hang out? Where was some places, some favourite places? Like if, if you went back to the school today, where would you want to go and see? What would you go and hang out and see whether your uh, your remnants of your experience are still there somewhere? <laughs> I'm not sure if um, I think I've already dated myself with the Sunny Boy reference, but I'm not sure whether too many of those places that we used to hang out would still be there. There seems to have been a fair bit of development that's gone on at the school since I left. But um. I think just the, the usual spots, the year-level buildings that we'd hang around in um, was sort of the place, the CAF you'd go every lunchtime. So, um, I mean, the CAF, thankfully, from what I understand, is still there. So I imagine that's a place that we'd try and hit. But it'd be really interesting to go back and see a lot of the buildings that we were, um, that we were studying in at the time, see what changes have been made, um, but to see other parts of the school as well that are new. Um, yeah. Absolutely. One, one area that has not probably changed very much would be uh, what was well what is known as the languages wing or the languages building or year eight mm. um, did you have any anything to do with languages is that sort of an area that you enjoyed or was that an area that you stopped uh, language as soon as you could uh, no I really enjoyed languages when I was at school um, I did French all the way through to the end of year 12 I actually did a six-month exchange um, to France when I was in year 10 um, so I think I, yeah, I was really, really into the languages, but, um, that was something I'd always sort of like looked towards. I've always had a bit of an international outlook. And so doing French, being able to see and understand the world from a different perspective was something I was, um, really focused on from the outset. That's awesome. Oh, what a great opportunity to, to, so you six months in year 10, what are you 15, 16 years old? You've traveled, mm. uh, to France. What do you think you learnt about yourself and how has that impacted your your now in terms of maybe career but in terms of experience and exposure and maturity and and you mentioned there you, you're interested in the world and I guess that chance to travel gives whets that appetite a bit. Yeah, I, I would say that it had a twofold impact. I think firstly it gave me a significant amount of confidence that you wouldn't be able to get you know, in, in the environment that you're comfortable in. It really required me, you know, I, I was going into a completely new country, not knowing anyone at the age of 15. So it really required me to step out of my comfort zone. Um, and I think, you know, in that experience, but also coming back to Australia, I just had so much more confidence that I ever, than I ever had before. Um, I think the second point to that is that, that it really did open up the world to me. Um, I was living just outside of Paris and it really showed me what was on offer for um, people with interests like myself and enabled me to make friends from all walks of life from different from different countries. Um, and so that twofold impact, I think, really um, probably guided me in my in my future decisions and made me much more confident really to go out and do um, or pursue my interests um, passionately. Hmm. We're going to talk about your interests in just a moment, but I want to put on my parent hat for a moment and mm. tell me a little bit about home life in that your parents have been supportive of the notion of, you, as you say, at 15, you're going to live in another country you've never been before and you don't know anybody. That is that is some pretty well done parenting, I think. <laughs> I think, I think it goes one of two ways, Paul. It's either some good parenting or it's a very laissez-faire uh, approach to parenting. And I'd say my parents probably sit in, in the middle of that. I think they were quite relaxed in their approach to, my, to their parenting of me and really enabled me to sort of go out um, and explore my own interests. I think once they realized that I wanted to, to do something like um, 
that exchange for a few months, they were pretty on board with it um, and really sort of encouraged me to do that and, and sort of helped me find the opportunities to be able to, to carry that out. Um, although I have learned sort of later on after the fact that, you know, that was sort of the first of a few trips overseas, but um, my parents are very good at, at hiding that sort of anxiety about me going off um, to different places. So they're able to be supportive um, and hide their anxiety, which I think is really good for me and gives me the confidence to go out and do it. But um, yeah, no, very thankful that they, get, that they would sort of encourage me to take up an opportunity like that at that age. For sure, and 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 look, it is it is one of the uh, most challenging, I think, parts of the parenting journey is that you, of course you want your kids to to spread their wings. You want them to even experience some tough things from time to time, but the love and care and nurture and provision, and you want to have all of that as well. And and it's that juxtaposition of giving opportunity and, and saying yes but it's also oh yeah but the you know mm. you can't help but wonder about the risks and uh, consider the the potential for things to to not go according to plan so good on you and your parents for finding a way so tell me then you mentioned that once they realized your interests and passion they helped to enable travel to become more and more what were those interests what was it that um I guess, prompted you to explore the world? Um, I think it's, it's, it's always been an innate interest in um, international politics, international law and, and human rights. And um, I think that, that I, I, I've never really been able to explain where that's come from, but it's always been an innate interest in me in, in those particular areas. And that requires you to, to go overseas and see different parts of the world. Um, but I think, like I said, the, the confidence that I was given through that French exchange um, really enabled me to go on and pursue those sorts of opportunities. Um, I, I went on to study to study arts law at Monash um, after finishing school. And the opportunities that were available at Monash to do those sorts of things, um, I was very fortunate to be able to undertake. And um, it's really informed what I've, you know, the, the career choices that I've made um, at university and sort of since recently graduating. Fantastic. So while you were studying at university, you did more travel? Mm, yeah. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so there's a, sort of a number of, um, of overseas study opportunities and internship opportunities um, that I was able to undertake. I went to sort of South Africa a couple of times, um, sort of uh, where else did I go? India, the Philippines, North America, Europe, um, all with university sponsored um, programs. So it really enabled me to explore those interests fully. That's awesome. And it's one thing, however, for a, a, an organisation to offer those opportunities to students, but it's also another thing for the student to say yes. And mm. there's, by the sounds of it, a confidence that you developed while you're a, a student at, at Yarra. But that has given you the confidence to say yes when these other opportunities came because that takes some willpower, that takes some uh, a, a bit of grit and a bit of determination. I wonder if you can tell us about a time where you said yes, but it didn't go according to plan. And maybe what did you learn from that? Are there any words of wisdom that you could, uh, you know, and it might be a funny story where you caught the wrong train and you're going in the wrong direction and you didn't know until, you know, you're three hours out of town or, you know, Something where you said yes, but it kind of came unstuck. Mm. I mean, that's the thing. I don't. I don't think that I've ever really been in a position where I've I've taken a leap and it hasn't worked out. I think when I've taken the opportunities that I've really wanted to take, everything has been has been okay. Nothing too bad has happened to me. I think what I've learned is that when I take opportunities that I'm not really interested in, and that I if I you know if I go and do something because that's what you're supposed to do, or um, it's an expectation of you, it's maybe more prestigious, etc. I've really not enjoyed those. And so I think, you know, the, 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 my takeaways from that is just to, to really find what you want to do and pursue that fully because nothing too bad is going to happen to you if you're really invested in something and really sort of um, wanting to explore. And even if something bad does happen, it's just a, a learning experience that you can, you can take on board and, um, you know, sort of, make changes to the next time so those um, 
those mistakes or those learning issues don't sort of continue to arise. And I think that that is a particular approach, a mindset that says, whatever happens, I'm going to learn something from this. It's, it's going to be okay. I'm going to work it out. Um, but I love that perspective and that observation that, that actually, even if it doesn't go exactly how I thought it was going to go, it's still, it's still part of my journey. It's still part of the experience and, and we'll find a way, which I think is tremendous. I wonder whether you might talk a little bit about uh, you were able to pursue passion and interest and and not that we know where the seed of that started from, but do you think that's an all of a sudden you find your purpose or is it an exploration and a discovery and you kind of follow a bit of a sniff and a bit of a woof and a bit of a, a whiff over this way? Or because people, you know, and people talk about what's your purpose and is that found or is it discovered is it decided what do you think about purpose um i guess i can only really speak to to my experiences but i think that oftentimes you'll have sort of innate interests that you want to pursue but that's not necessarily definitive of of what you're actually going to do in the future and i think finding out what you're going to do in the future is a real trial and error process um, I think it's about taking up opportunities that you're interested in at the time, really giving them a go and seeing whether or not that's what you want to do. Um, everything that I've done since I left school has really been about that. It's been about taking up different opportunities. And once I've taken those opportunities, that's exposed me to further opportunities um, that have aligned with my, with my interests and my passions. Um, so it's really just about giving everything that you're interested in at the time a go and seeing what the result is and just cancelling out, you know, it's, it's more, it's more of a sort of a cancelling out process rather than a finding truly what you want to do process. Um, I think there's been a few occasions where I've done like taken up certain opportunities and really not enjoyed it. And that's just directed me to a different pathway. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really that sort of iterative trial and error process, I think, towards finding exactly what you want to do and, and how you want to do it. Hmm. That's great. So, Tell me about where you are now, like literally where you are now, and <laughs> w- what are you doing and why are you there in that part of the world? Um, what's your role? How long are you there for? What's next? So at present, I'm uh, in my bedroom in uh, Darwin in the Northern Territory. Uh, I've been up in the Territory for just over two months now. Um, I finished university at the end of last year and moved up for a job as an associate with a judge in the Supreme Court of the Northern Territory. Um, So it's a year-long gig, so I'll be here until at least January next year. Um, And then in terms of what's next, it's a a tricky question to answer. I think um, COVID has um, has meant that nothing can be predicted or planned fully into the future. But um, I mean, I've really enjoyed the first two months that I've been here uh, it's exposed me to a number of issues, a number of legal issues that I would never come across in other parts of Australia. So I can I can definitely see myself staying here for another few years, um, working at a place like the Aboriginal Justice Agency or something something along those lines. Uh, but equally, if the world opens up, then there's a potential for me to go overseas and um, explore my interests in, in those spaces as well. Um, but again, really, that it's that iterative process again, just seeing what, what I want to do at the time, finding interesting roles, and then just, just running with it. That's awesome to, to, again, that notion of just saying yes and exploring and seeing. And, and, you know, I imagine that Northern Territory probably wasn't on your list of places that you really wanted to go and work, maybe, maybe holiday, maybe visit, but... The, an opportunity came up and then you're in it what tell me remind me of the title of your role and then what does that actually mean what do you do um okay so i'm a, I'm a judge's associate and what that means is i work directly for a judge so i'm in effect his his whole team um and i do um a lot of case management for um issues that come before the so cases and matters that come before the court. Um, I do legal research. I do drafting and editing of judgments. Um, I do work in court with the judge, so assisting him in those lines. 
Um, but it's really just um, you're, you're sort of there as the only sort of legally trained staff member that your judge has. Um, so it's a really interesting experience. And for me, it was a great opportunity to take um, sort of the first year out of uni. You're really learning. You're spending a year working directly for one of the experts in this field um, in a really interesting jurisdiction. So the bulk of our work is, is criminal law, um, but the, the benefit of being in the territory is that you know, they, they don't have a court of appeal and they don't have a, an intermediate court. So you're really hearing issues at all different levels and a number of different matters. So we hear a lot of civil appeals and we hear a lot of human rights matters as well. Um, so that's been really interesting for my sort of um, my focus areas. I think the other benefit of, of, of being in a place like that, this is that you're really exposed to the coalface of Indigenous issues, uh, which, you know, living on the east coast of Australia, living in Melbourne, you really just don't get exposed to um, at the same in the same way, and I think that's a for me it's going to be a really interesting learning experience, quite a confronting learning experience, but a beneficial one nonetheless. Yeah, for sure. And would you say at this stage it has wet your appetite for digging in and understanding? Is there a is there a growing love for the indigenous people and their 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 way is there an affection for it is there a an empathy for it is there a a desire to learn more and understand more um what's your what's your initial impressions i mean i think unfortunately in my line of work i'm exposed to the um the 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 bad side at the moment um you know, the, the, the majority of the people that come before the court up here are Indigenous. It's about 80%, 80 to 90% of the people that come before the court are Indigenous, despite them making up only 30% of the territory population. Um, we see a number of issues with drug and alcohol abuse. Um, domestic violence is a huge issue in the communities and the, the, the people that come before the court that we see. So, obviously, the, the, the negative side is that I see the really sort of harmful um, impact of you know, 250 years of displacement of the Indigenous people. Um, I, I think despite that, it obviously has, has meant that I've needed to learn a lot more about those issues, um, why they persist in these, in these places, um, and sort of hoping at some point to, to sort of get a better better insight in sort of how to resolve these sorts of issues and how to engage with Indigenous people um, to prevent these issues from from um, continuing on. But it's a very difficult jurisdiction to work in because there's, like I said, sort of a couple of centuries of, um, of trauma there that are very difficult to overcome. So it's definitely lit uh, an interest in me that I didn't really have before. I've never really done any work with Indigenous Australians before. Um, but like I said, the idea of being up here for a few years and working with um, working with an organisation like the Aboriginal Justice Agency or working with one of the land councils up here, I think would be really interesting. Um, but I think there's still a long way for me to go before I understand the issues as they persist up here um, and can offer any insight in, in how they might be resolved or how I might be able to assist. Mm. It's a very mature approach that even though you're living in amongst it, the wisdom of the experience is still evolving and still coming to grips with and understanding as you soak it all in. And I also appreciate your awareness of um, the majority of your exposure is going to be uh, negative and and yet um I guess we 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 know, do we? We want to believe, we hope, we trust that there's a lot of good to unpack as well and a lot of beauty to discover both in the land but in the people and the way they interact with the land and and for many communities the way they interact with each other as well is beautiful and has sustained generation after generation after generation. So stick with it because there's a lot more to learn. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. I wonder whether you... Um, might come with me on a little journey of what I like to call the um, quick fire round where I'm going to throw a bunch of little questions at you and, and they might be short answer responses and um, and we'll see where we end up. But I wonder if you can begin by telling us, Lachlan Cameron from the class of 2013, when you were at Yarra, what house were you in? Oh, God. 
This is a long time ago. Um, I was in Yellow House. What I can't remember what it's called. Hughes. 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 That's the it one. is. Yes. Yeah. Well done. So this is going to be an even harder question, although you could make it up. Were you <laughs> were Hughes any good back in your day? I think we were good at swimming. I think we were rubbish at everything else. Okay. <laughs> what was your great contribution to the house? Were you a swimmer, an athlete? Were you in debating? Were you on the musical stage? Where did you contribute? Um, I think I swam a bit. Um, yeah, my contribution was probably less house-based. My contribution was more to... Um, I played in a sort of a few of the... Um, uh, played volleyball and, and footy in the in the first team, so... That, that was probably my, my bigger contribution to the school, but I'm not sure how much I um, contributed to, to Hughes House winning any of those competitions. So I probably can't bemoan them too much for being rubbish at anything else. <laughs> no, you're probably right. Again, I think there's wisdom speaking there. And uh, I wonder, tell us a little bit about, other than the calf, what was a regular in your lunchbox? No, this is, this is taking me back so many years. Um, I'd say a normal sort of like a ham sandwich with a bit of um, a bit of mustard or something in there, um, a bit of fruit, some muesli bars, um, relatively healthy. But I think in my in my growing years, I was probably having about three or four sandwiches a day, so that was maybe a bit of overkill. And how many of them were you making? I uh, I was making making all of them. My um, my parents uh. This probably goes back to that laissez-faire approach that I was talking about before, but I think I was making my own school lunches from sort of early primary school, so um, probably a, a better chef than I would have been. Um, so can thank them for that. But yeah, at the time it would have been would have been nice for some homemade sandwiches at some point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, I'm uh, doing a trip as it turns out up to the Northern Territory, and you, thank you, you've invited me to come over for dinner. What are you going to serve up? What's your specialty? What's your go-to? And and if you do have something, is it locally sourced? Uh, I'm a really big curry guy. So I'm a vegetarian. So a lot of my curries are sort of like um, legume based. So a lot of chickpea curries and dals and um, cauliflower curries and the like. And thankfully, there are a lot of locally sourced veg up here. So there's a lot of local markets on Saturday and Sunday that have some really great produce for sort of um, for good prices as well. So that's a really nice way to, to, to shop for the week with um, minimal sort of travel time um, and emissions produced as a result of that and minimal plastic on the veggies. So it's some really nice wholesome food up here. Excellent. And is there something that you've tried that you, you, you thought about it twice before you actually had a go at it? Are we talking food-wise or are we talking other things? Um, yeah, there's probably been, there's been quite a few things, nothing up in Darwin. I think going the, um, the vegetarian option limits your sort of steers you away from those questionable food choices. But what have I had? I've had sort of sheep's brains. I've, I think I've eaten testicles before. Um, so yeah, a few of those occasions where, um, you're sort of, you're really looking at it and you're like, do I really want to, to eat this fried sheep's brain? And it's, um, Definitely, it's not it's not a delicacy that I think I'd uh, eat frequently. Um, the novelty was interesting, but beyond that, it was um, a bit mushy. Yeah. <laughs> based on based on that description, I think stick with the vegetarian for a little while longer. <laughs> Take me out of the picture, and uh, you've got people from any era, any generation, any time in history, any nation around the world. You can have three people come to your place for a little bit of um, chickpea curry. Who's coming? Who would you like to have over for dinner? Um, are we talking all from the same place or from... Anywhere in history. Anywhere in history, any any corner of the globe. Yeah, okay. I think I would take... Um, I'd probably take one of the um, anti-apartheid activists. Uh, and I'm not going to nitpick because they're all very interesting people. So I'd take, I'd take one of them. I'd take... Probably take someone like Malcolm X um, from the US... And then, as a third, I'd, 
I think I'd maybe take um, really going sort of <laughs> off the beaten track here, but somebody like Kwame Nkrumah, the um, the first president of uh, of Ghana, so one of the um, sort of the leading um, anti-colonial forces um, from the the mid nineteenth nineteen hundreds, one of the first to to achieve independence for um, for their country. So I think he'd be a really interesting person to invite as well. And I think the conversations that we'd have at the dinner table with um, those those three radicals, I think, would be pretty interesting. Absolutely. The combination of perspective and insight and, and generation that they would bring if we could get them around your dinner table <laughs> today would be uh, quite extraordinary. Thank you. That's, uh, that's fascinating. I wonder if um, Yara helped you to become a reader. And if you're a reader, are there any uh, great books that you might recommend or... Uh, I mean, life-changing is a bit big, maybe, but um, is there something that might be re- recommended reading? Um, I mean, I think Yara did. Yara had a huge part in in pushing me towards um, towards towards literature and towards sort of um, a legal life, and so that's that's led me to um, to sort of do the things that I do. Um, and I think the teachers that I had played a huge part in that. There was a few, particularly in my in my later years, that really directed me um, and encouraged me to go and do do those things that I was passionate about. Um, the book that I've read the most recently that I think everyone should read is a book called The Tall Man. It's written by Chloe Hooper, and it's about a a riot on Palm Island um, in the early two thousands, where an indigenous man was killed by um, a police officer. Um, and there was a trial into it, there was an inquest into it. But in effect, it really brings to light and it brings to light the issues that Indigenous people face with, um, with the justice system, um, why there might be such a, a high level of mistrust between the, the, the communities of the, the police force and the Indigenous population. Um, and it's just a really, it's really brilliantly written. Um, it's really well researched and it's just, it gives a very fair an accurate response and reflection to the issue at the time. So The Tall Man by Chloe Hooper is what I'd recommend. Hmm. There's certainly a theme to your interests and, and your exploration and who you'd like to sit down for dinner with. And uh, and, and I, I appreciate that because you, as you, you, you mentioned before, you're iterating your life and reiterating and, and you're following the things that are of interest. I wonder... And, and let's even narrow it down, if we can, to this most recent journey for you up in the Northern Territory. Are there are there things that you've been exposed to, um, pastimes, hobbies, interests, games? Have you had time for any of that? That you go, that that was just a great fun night out or afternoon. Or have you been able to experience local community in in a really unique way at all? Uh, I, I mean, I've loved my first couple of months up here. It's been, um, Darwin's a great place to live. There's a lot of really interesting work up here. There's a lot of confronting work, but very interesting work. But, you know, everyone on the weekends um, sort of is out and about. I've been out to, to Kakadu and to Litchfield, the two main national parks up here. Uh, it's a very social environment as well. So there's a lot of young professionals in the legal space and um, a lot of young doctors as well. And there's a really big community I really and a very social community that sort of has parties every weekend and so you're out and about all the time so um, it's a really fantastic place to work as a young person potentially on into the future as well but I think because of that really strong community that's here um, that's what makes it really enjoyable. I wonder because you are so uh, culturally aware and both historically and politically and and humanitarian uh, ventures and explorations. Let me take you back to Yarra and I wonder whether, and I know you enjoyed the sports field, but take me into the PAC. Maybe there was a musical, a performance, a drama, there was a speech even, that you were either the one on the stage or you were in the audience. Is there a standout performance that you remember from your time? Not, not that I can recall performance-wise. I think for me, 
the, the standouts from my time and the things that I took inspiration from were really sort of the, the, the teachers that I had. So it was that those one-on-one experiences and those teachers that we had um, in the classroom, really getting passionate about um, the material that they were teaching. And that's really what sort of what I remember most from Yarra. Um, a few teachers that, or most teachers, that really put a lot of, a lot of effort and a lot of work into, the, um, into their teaching. And I think that was the main thing that really inspired me during my time at Yarra. Many of those teachers as well had also had very interesting experiences, had traveled a lot, had worked in very interesting places. And they really encouraged me to go and pursue those interests. And so more than any performance or speech, um, it was just that, that interaction that you had with those teachers that were really passionate about what they did. That was what really um, sticks with me from my time at Yarra. Mm. And I think that, that that speaks to what makes a good teacher is a little bit of life experience and a little bit of exploration, but then again, a passion for the content, the subject, and then the people who are, who you're investing time and effort and energy into. Um, Lachlan, what was your nickname when you were at school? I think I had quite a number while I was at school. Um I think what stuck with me at the end, I think I got French kid on the back of my um, my my um my sweater. So no no guessing where that came from. Um, but then yeah, had a had a bunch of others as well. I think Smoky C stuck with me for a while. So there was there was quite a number from my from my few years there. Yeah, I want to offer a, a phrase to you that may resonate, um, and I wonder if you can tell me what it means. It's our school motto. And it sounds like Lavavi Oculus. Do you remember what that means? And what does it mean? I think literally it's something about I'm always learning or lift up my eyes to learning something along those lines. Uh, And to me, it's that idea that you really should always be learning. There's so much out there in the world to learn from. um, And it's such an exciting place to learn. So that's really what it's about for, for me, sort of just remaining passionate about the things that you do and just wanting to learn more, wanting to really dive into into what you're doing um, and just explore that as fully as you can. Hmm. Absolutely. We're living in a, a, a digital age and, and the opportunity that you and I have to meet in real time, we can see each other and yet I'm in Melbourne, you're in uh, the Northern Territory. Tell me a little bit about your phone. What are two apps on your phone that you use all the time? I'm a really terrible um, millennial. I'm not really too invested in technology. For me, it's sort of so long as it works, I'm fine. I actually just recently got rid of an iPhone 5 from about six years ago. And I only got rid of it because a few of the, the, the sensors underneath the screen had broken. So I couldn't really text properly. So I was relying on um, sort of the predictive text to be able to send out messages. And then oftentimes it wouldn't get the word that I wanted. So I'd have to change the message to be able to send it out. So I'm not an no, overly, um, overly tech savvy millennial. So for me, it's sort of so long as I can call and message, um, read my emails, get on Zoom when I need to, that's, that's all I really need. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's uh, it's encouraged to to people like me that that you are happy to keep some things in your life very simple and straightforward and uh, and mm. and you know if it works, I'm happy. I I, mm. I really appreciate <laughs> that approach. Um, I wonder if you, with all your travel over your journeys, once upon a time or in a time to come, we're going to be able to travel. And let's say we can travel anywhere in the world. Do you have a either a recommendation, a place that you've been that you'd say, if you can, get along to? Or is there a place that you've heard about, you've read about you, and you'd like to go and experience for yourself? Yeah, so probably two things I'll say. Firstly, country that I would recommend everyone go to, or if they can, is go to Iran. It's an amazing country, very interesting people, and it's a very misunderstood country. So for those that can travel there, it's the favorite place that I've ever been to. Um, so that's number one for, for, every, for where everyone should go to. And where, before you tell us the next bit, I love that recommendation because nobody else has recommended that. <laughs> and 
Um, it's not going to be high, I imagine. It's not going to be high on too many people's list of great places to go and see. So can you give me one reason or one more reason why is it is it a is it the people is it the history is it the story is it the 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 geography or the the architecture what, what what's happening in iran simply put iran is the most hospitable country that i've ever been to it's a it's a place that is severely closed off from the rest of the world and so as a result like you said it's not high on many people's list for um, for countries to go to, but I think as a result of that, the people there are just so welcoming um, that it's so easy to make friends and, and, and feel at home there. The sort of you know experiences for me where I'd be walking around and I would chat to people on the street and they'd invite me into their homes for dinner or we'd go out for tea. Um, some people let me stay over in their house just just from sort of meeting them and chatting to them on the street. And it's not in a sense that you sort of feel intimidated by those sorts of offers. You don't feel like people want something from you. It's a really big part of um, a Persian hospitality to, to welcome people into their homes um, and to offer travelers and, and offer guests um, opportunities to, to sit down with them and, and, and to speak to them. So that's a, the biggest takeaway for me. It's a, it's a country that's so demonized um, at, a, at a political level, but at a human level, it's it's the most welcoming place that I've ever been to. Um, so that's that's the, the main reason I'd say go. But outside of that, the architecture is amazing. The history of Iran is, is, is really fascinating. Um, and the landscapes are, are so varied and so rugged. So there's, there's, there's many reasons to go. There's obviously a few reasons not to go. But um, I think the um, for me, the benefits far outweighed any of the cons while I was there traveling. Um, and then going to the country that I really want to go to next, um, that would be Ethiopia um, in, in East Africa. I've heard really amazing things. Um, the photos that I've seen are incredible. And I think like my experiences in Iran, it sounds like a country where people are incredibly welcoming. Um, they don't get that many tourists. So I, I think it would be a really interesting place to go. It's a country where... Um, I think it's the only country in Africa that wasn't colonized. Um, and so as a result, it's got a very strong sense of self um, in that country. Um, there's a bit of a civil conflict going on at the moment, though. So that might sort of dampen those plans for a while. But um, hopefully at a point in the future, it'll be it'll be great to go to again. Hmm. There are some beautiful reflections and. I'm going to ring the uh, the local travel agent in <laughs> Ringwood and just see whether there's a bit of a spike in interest in uh, some of those countries after your recommendation. <laughs> I'm sure they'll have many deals on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Lachlan, what scares you? Um, sharks, deep water. Um, they're sort of the, the sort of the main things are sort of those irrational fears that I have, I think. Um, yeah, they're the, they're the sort of the main ones outside of the outside of the norm. But um, yeah, outside of that, I think everything's everything's pretty, pretty fine and dandy. Hmm. Mm. You, you strike me as one who and, and we've said it a few times and we keep circling back to it. And I love it about you is that you're you have a curiosity that that wants to explore and there comes with that a certain level of confidence and courage to actually take those initial steps but there's also obviously a um an education but a wisdom and a learned wisdom as you embrace whatever comes your way that suggests that you've got a confidence in you that says huh, We'll work it out, whatever comes, whatever in the, in that moment, if I, I experience fear, I can probably work my way through this and, and it is going to be okay. And there's a certain, um, I guess, just a, 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 a confidence is, is not as heavy a word as I want to use, just a, a security perhaps in in you and, and I feel being around you I would feel safe, and uh, <laughs> and and I appreciate 
your perspective on the things you've experienced and the things that you still want to experience. Um, as we draw our time to a close, and, and I appreciate your your generosity of time at the end of a, a, a busy week and so forth, but I wonder if if I might, and at this stage, this will be my last question, and it's a two-pronged question. And the question is, during the course of our conversation, what is the question that you really wished I had asked you about? And then can you answer that really good question that I haven't asked you yet? <laughs> Well, I think you've done you've done pretty well. You've just allowed me to explore my interests um, throughout the conversation, and I and I think that's sort of the the ultimate sort of sort of sign of a sort of a good a good interview and a good discussion. It's just um, allowing me to sort of to sort of run with it. So I, I think that there's no real sort of good question that I that I'd wish you'd ask me. Um, but I think I just just thankful that I was able to sort of to run with those and explore those, those, those insights. And for me, just being able to reflect on my past experiences, that just made me really excited and um, made me really sort of um, optimistic for sort of future opportunities. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that, that that's at the core of it, that I was actually really like looking back and I was like, oh, some, some of these opportunities were, were really fantastic and I was really fortunate to have them. So, yeah, no, I think, I think we're all good. Terrific. I wonder if you might leave me on a high, and there's a number of ways you could do that, but I want to go back to the sports field. I want you to take <laughs> me to that moment where you, for example, kicked the goal after the siren. You you did a spike that was like you were on top of the world, or it was that moment where you took a mark and it was the best. And is there a sporting moment, a memory where you uh, you felt really proud to have been in the midst of it? Wow, my sporting days are long gone, and many of my friends, if they listen to this, are going to roast me about this. Um, this coming up again, but um, I think I think for me, towards the end of my time at Yarra, I played a lot of volleyball, and, and that was probably what was most enjoyable for me. We won a couple of um, of the AGSV premierships. I think we won one of the um, one or two of the state championships as well. Um, so I really enjoyed being part of that team. It was a sort of a really unique experience that I got playing that sport that I never thought I would have played before I got to Yarra and got a couple of years through. So I think those sort of highs with that team were, were the most enjoyable part of my, you know, my sporting career at Yarra. Um, yeah. So those, those uh, no, I, I'll take that. I appreciate and, and, your mates will appreciate that you've actually included the whole team in the celebration. You haven't, you haven't tried to stand up there and uh, and say, "Look at me," and and I remember the time when. But you've actually brought everybody back in together. So I think well done for that, Lachlan Cameron from the class of two thousand and thirteen. Thank you, thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, allowing us to explore and unpack and wander really down your own experiences of Yarra and. It seems to me that it was a really useful, helpful period in your life that has set some foundation that have um, helped to shape and equip the journey thus far and I guess will have impact into the future and yet at the same time it's not pre-scripted, it's not pre-written. You are a character who's going to keep exploring and wandering and finding out and discovering and all the while it seems to me that you will be measured and thoughtful and reflective and use those experiences to head for exciting horizons and thank you for sharing your stories your wisdom and your insight thanks for your time and your generosity thanks for allowing yourself to be inspired by Yarra and some of the people of Yarra And you truly are, as people listen to this, continue to be, and the impact you will make is an inspiration to Yarra. So for that, we thank you. All right. Thanks for having me, Paul. (laughs) What a a gentle, thoughtful, informed soul. It's good to have young men like Lachlan Cameron exploring the world and seeking to explore justice and those rights, humanitarian rights, not only in our own nation, but across the world. And 
just a, a thoughtful, reflective, generous, wise, maybe even wise beyond his years already. Fascinating character and one who's open to explore and I like that. I really am drawn to that and as I think I reflected, it's, it's good to have solid, confident, educated, foundational members in community and one who is seeking to do right and do well. Lachlan Cameron from the class of 2013, thank you. And as I mentioned at the end, <laughs> I'm so pleased that he, it just, I guess it illustrates the character of the man, doesn't it? That he wanted to pass the glory of his sporting days and share it amongst the team. Good on him. Hey, if you've, you've enjoyed this conversation with Lachlan, there are many others similar. In our growing library of Inspired by Yarra podcast episodes, you can find them at the yvg.vic.edu.au website. And if you scroll across the top, you find a section called Community. And then you scroll on down to the bottom, you'll find the podcast. And there are heaps of great conversations in the library. And if you know others who might know Lockie or you would like to um, experience hearing from somebody from your year level, perhaps, if you've got a recommendation, if you've got some stories that you'd like to either tell or listen to being told by somebody who you know has got a, a good yarn to spin or a story to tell, we'd love to get in touch. So please reach out, share this episode, share the podcast. Let's continue to learn and grow together as an extended school community. My name is Paul Joy and on behalf of everybody here at Yarra and especially those who work behind the scenes to put these stories together and to release them as a podcast, I want to say thank you to you and I encourage you to do what you can today to live another day of intentionality as you seek to make a difference in the world around you. Mm -hmm.